welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode eight, My Joy is Full. The chapters this week are 3rd Nephi, chapters 17 through 19. And I was saying on Instagram that I think this might be my favorite podcast so far because these chapters are so precious and so amazing, which... (laughs) My kids still make fun of me because they say that I say something to that effect every week when we're studying a new section of the Book of Mormon. But this one really is. (laughs) Um, The Savior has been delivering the Sermon on the Mount, and he talked about the apostasy and the restoration and telling them about other people in the world that he needs to visit. Speaking of which, isn't it amazing that we get to know the sacred details about what the Savior did during those three days before he was resurrected. It really makes so much sense that that time was filled with gathering the whole earth into one fold. He visited his lost tribes. He says in chapter 17, verse 4, But now I go unto the Father, and also to show myself unto the lost tribes of Israel. For they are not lost unto the Father, for he knoweth whether he he hath taken them. It makes me wonder about the records that we don't have and the prophets that we don't know about in other parts of the world. But also during those three days, he visited the spirit world, as we read in Peter 3.18. President Joseph F. Smith wrote in the Pearl of Great Price, and it says, As I wondered, my eyes were opened, and my understanding quickened, and I perceived that the Lord went not in person among the wicked and the disobedient in the spirit world, who had rejected the truth while living on earth, to teach them. But behold, from among the righteous in that part of the spirit world, he organized his forces and appointed the messengers clothed with power and authority and commissioned them to go forth and carry the light of the gospel to them that were in darkness, even to all the spirits of men. And thus was the gospel preached to the dead. So isn't that cool? He's gathering the earth and he's organizing the spirit world to have missionary work done among the dead who had not accepted the gospel or hadn't had a chance to hear the gospel. So the Savior has been telling them about all these things, and he says in chapter 17, verse 2, I perceive that ye are weak, and ye cannot understand all my words, which I am commanded of the Father to speak unto you at this time. Therefore, go ye unto your homes, and ponder the things which I have said, and ask of the Father in my name, that ye may understand, and prepare your minds for the morrow, and I come unto you again." I'm glad that he said this because honestly, when I read everything that he said in these previous chapters, I'm not a hundred percent on what it all means and I'll have to go research it because we have something so cool that these people did not, which is access to the internet and books written about what all this means and all these smart people who have figured it out. But although the internet is cool, I think we can learn a lot from what the savior says here. Ponder upon the things which I have said, and ask of the Father in my name that ye may understand. This really emphasizes the power of prayer. We can pray to understand, and our understanding can be quickened. What do we need to do to qualify for this amazing blessing of prayer? That our understanding 
can be quickened? Well, we need to have faith and we need to believe that it can happen. Or at least pray that he can make up for the belief that you lack and believe that he can do that. We need to have humble hearts. We need to be willing to let go of our inadequate understanding of things, to yield ourselves to his perfect understanding. We have all seen so much struggle within this last 10 years. So many people have left the church because of questions that they don't understand the answers to, or the even more difficult pill to swallow. Sometimes we don't get to know the answers right now. And that is part of mortality. We show faith by not requiring a perfect understanding of things right now. There's a scripture my grandpa always quotes anytime he doesn't know the answer to things, mostly silly things. Like if I say, Grandpa, do you know where Grandma is? He'll say, Alma 3711. So what Alma 3711 says is, Now these mysteries are not yet fully made known unto me, therefore I shall forbear. So that's Alma speaking to his son Helaman there. And Alma sets a great example for us here. We are not going to know everything. And that is okay, and it's part of the plan. It's merciful that he will not give us knowledge of the things that we are not ready for. I'd like to think that he's giving us what, we'd, what we can handle right now. And when we have a handle on that, then we are ready for more knowledge. But only he can be the judge of that. Part of being ready for more knowledge is the willingness to set aside what we think that we know and be willing to be taught by the Spirit. I can remember one experience that I had where I found something out that something had been announced and I truly felt that I couldn't wrap my brain around this new policy and I wasn't sure what to think about it. But I also had the thought at the same time that I do not require that I understand all things right now. And I really sincerely felt that way. And I don't think this happens every time, but that time it was like, as soon as I gave up my own ways, I wanted to think about things or thought was right or wrong. As soon as I gave that up, because I wanted to submit to whatever his will was immediately, it was a flood of knowledge and understanding about why that was happening. And it was such a testimony builder for me that the spirit can impart knowledge when we're willing to submit our own will and our own understanding and accept that his ways are so much higher and wiser than our ways. Richard G. Scott gave an excellent talk called Acquiring Spiritual Knowledge. He said, to acquire spiritual knowledge and to obey it with wisdom, one must, in humility, seek divine light, exercise faith in Jesus Christ, hearken to his counsel, keep his commandments. As spiritual knowledge unfolds, it must be understood, valued, obeyed, remembered, and expanded. Oh, that's such a good quote. I want you to, to read you those five things he said. So after you get that spiritual knowledge, it must be understood, 
valued, and how do we show that we value knowledge we've been given, obeyed, remembered, and expanded. I imagine that the people the Savior taught in the Americas were experiencing ultimate humility in the presence of the Savior, ready to be taught by the Spirit the things that they didn't understand. I looked up some synonyms for humility, lowliness, submissiveness, non-resistance, obedience, lack of pride. Do you have a question that you felt has gone unanswered? When you go to the Lord asking to understand, do you bring these qualities to the table at that time? Do you bring lowliness, submissiveness, non-resistance, obedience, lack of pride? And if not, that's something to think about. I know I don't always do that, and I have to be corrected sometimes. But if you feel like you are bringing those to the table and you're still not getting an answer, understand that the Lord might have a reason for not giving all the answers to you right now and be willing to say with humility like Alma, now these mysteries are not yet fully made known unto me, therefore I shall forbear. And accept that of the Lord because he isn't going to give you all of the answers right now because that is not what mortality is supposed to be. In the Come Follow Me handbook, it beautifully sums up what happens next. It says, Jesus Christ had just spent the day ministering in the land of Mount Bountiful, teaching his gospel, giving the people a chance to see and feel the marks in his resurrected body, and testifying that he was the promised Savior. And now it was time for him to leave. He needed to return to his father. He knew that the people needed time to ponder what he had taught. So promising to return the next day, he dismissed the multitude to their homes, but no one left. They didn't say what they were feeling, but Jesus could sense it. They hoped that he would tarry a little longer with them. He had other important things to do, but the opportunity to show compassion does not always come at a convenient time. So Jesus stayed with the people a little longer. What followed was perhaps the most tender example of ministering recorded in scripture. Those who were present could only say it was indescribable. Jesus himself summed up the impromptu spiritual outpouring with these simple words, Now behold, my joy is full. I'm going to read to you this portion of the story. In chapter 17, starting in verse 7, he says, Have ye any that are sick among you? Bring them hither. Have ye any that are lame or blind or halt or maimed or leprous or that are withered or that are deaf or afflicted in any manner? Bring them hither and I will heal them for I have compassion upon you. My bowels are filled with mercy for I perceive that ye desire that I should show unto you what I have done unto your brethren in Jerusalem for I see that your faith is sufficient that I should heal you. And it came to pass that when he had thus spoken, all the multitude with one accord did go forth with their sick and their afflicted and their lame, with their blind and with their dumb, and with all them that were afflicted in any manner. And he did heal every one as they were brought forth unto him. And they did all, both they who had been healed and they who were whole, bow down at his feet and did worship him. And as many as could come for the multitude did kiss his feet insomuch that they did bathe his feet with their tears. So first, I think about this literally. Who would I bring to the Savior? Think about how, who you would bring to him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? 
Doesn't it just make you feel all the feels? When I think about someone that I would bring to him, I am filled with love for that person. As I imagine bringing them to him, I'm not focused on his love for me, but I'm filled with the love that he feels for them. What do we learn about ministering here? We are all in need of healing from the Savior. Every person we minister to needs healing from the great physician, even if it doesn't seem like they really need anything. They all need him. So what can you do in your calling to minister to bring those you minister to closer to the Savior? I think that that is what our root mission is. It's not just to bring them dinner or cookies, which is nice. And feel free to drop off food at my house anytime, especially snickerdoodles. I love snickerdoodles, and my husband doesn't usually want me to make them because he calls them a waste of a cookie, but they're not. Anyway, I am getting off topic. What is the root mission of ministering? It's intended to be deeper than that. It is a part of his gathering. He has promised that he will gather us as as a hen gathers her chickens And how does he accomplish that? Now, there are many, many ways that he does that, but one of the tools he uses is us. We serve him by helping keep his people safe and close to him. When I think of how I can help others stay close to the Savior, some of the ideas that come to my mind are pray for them. Tell them you prayed for them. Anytime I'm on social media and someone is asking for prayers. I always tell them that I knelt down right then and said a prayer. I think sometimes our comments on the internet can just seem like something you say where you say, oh, I'll pray for you. But I want people to know when I say that I prayed for them that I actually did. I got down on my knees and I said a deliberate, intentional prayer. And a lot of times I will even tell people who didn't ask for prayers that I prayed for them. I remember sometime a few months ago, there is this girl that I follow on Instagram. And I think she's one of the ones that's pretty real on Instagram, or at least as real as you can be on social media. And she'll tell you if she's struggling, but she hadn't been um, talking about that lately. But for whatever reason, when I was saying my prayer that night, I had her pop into my head. And I always like to keep in mind that the people that I'm interacting with on social media are real people, even though I don't know them. And it's easy to think of them as more of a character. But she popped in my head that that night and I prayed for her. And I immediately, after I closed my prayer, went into Instagram and I messaged her and told her that I prayed for her. Now, she never responded because I think a lot of these people who have lots of followers aren't actually reading their own messages. They pay people to do that. But I wanted to make sure that I did whatever I could to make sure that she knew that Heavenly Father was aware of her and he had inspired me to think of her and to pray for her. And I encourage you to do that whenever people enter your thoughts and you feel inspired to pray for them, tell them that you felt that because it helps them know that Heavenly Father is aware of them and that he is putting thoughts and intentions and promptings into people's head specifically about them. So to continue on with my little list of ideas that came to mind 
for how I can keep those I minister to close to the Savior. So pray for them. Tell them you prayed for them. Pray to the Savior to see them as he does. Pray to understand what their needs are. Follow through with any action when you think of them. I always think about, I think it's Sister Hinckley. She said something about, if you ever are wondering if something good is just from your own mind or if it's really a prompting, it really doesn't matter because if it's good, it's from the Lord. And then speak of him to them and make the gospel a normal part of your conversation. And as I'm getting more and more invested and into the gospel and increasing my testimony, it's becoming more natural to me. And I think it's so important that we make the gospel a part of our everyday conversations. I had several friends in high school that made it cool to love the gospel and to make good choices. And I'll say their names just so I can embarrass them and tell them I talked about them. So the two in particular I'm thinking of are my my friend Jenny. She was really cool and she made me think that it was cool to follow the commandments. And then my friend Sydney, and she was just always so wholesome and I felt like she loved the gospel and she was another one that made it just cool and socially acceptable to want to stay close to the Savior and obey the commandments. And I think that this can apply to us as adults as well. When we make the gospel a regular part of our conversations, it feels more natural to center your life around him when it's a part, an integral part of your life. Sometimes I think even as adults, we feel like it's awkward to be serious and deep like we don't want to come off as too intense. And in fact, I've even had that thought about doing this podcast where I'm like, people, and I'm, I, can be, I can be light and funny, but I also really enjoy being serious. And so sometimes when I think of people listening, I get a little embarrassed because I can get really intense about this, but I'm deciding that that is okay. And of course, we don't have to be deep and intense all the time, but... I'd like to challenge you that sometimes it is good to bring that into your relationships. Part of the reason that so many people nowadays feel lonely is because we've lost some of the the closeness and the interdependence we have on each other. When you allow him into your conversations and allow some of those deep conversations to take place, you are immediately knit to that person on a deeper level. Encouraging closeness to the gospel and helping each other hang on to him. Next, he commanded that the little children be brought to him. And after they're brought to him, it says, Jesus groaned within himself and said, Father, I am troubled because of the wickedness of the people of the house of Israel. I think it's significant that this pain of his spirit happens specifically when the children are gathered around him. I think we've all spent some time over the last few months thinking about the horrible, unthinkable things we've been hearing about happening to children around the world. I know that I've cried thinking about their innocence and and just the horrible things that are happening to them. They didn't choose any of this, and that's a hard thing to write, to wrap your brain around. Jesus said in Matthew 18:6, Whoso shall offend one of these little ones, 
It were better that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. So with all this horrific wickedness around us, what does Christ teach us in these verses? What does he do when his soul is pained? He prayed. He went to his father for comfort. Let's read what our father and his father blessed him with as he prayed. In verse 15, And when he had said these words, he he himself also knelt upon the earth. And behold, he prayed unto the Father, and the things which he prayed cannot be written, and the multitude did bear record who heard him. And after this manner do they bear record, the eye hath never seen, neither hath the ear heard before, so great and marvelous things as we saw and heard Jesus speak unto the Father. And no tongue can speak, neither can there be written by any man, Neither can the hearts of men conceive so great and marvelous things as we both saw and heard Jesus speak. And no one can conceive of the joy which filled our souls at the time we heard him pray for us unto the Father. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of praying unto the Father, he arose. But so great was the joy of the multitude that they were overcome. And it came to pass that Jesus spake unto them and bade them arise. And they arose from the earth, and he said unto them, Blessed are ye because of your faith, and now behold, my joy is full. And when he had said these words, he wept, and the multitude bare record of it. And he took their little children, one by one, and blessed them, and prayed unto the Father for them. And when he had done this, he wept again. And he spake unto the multitude, and said unto them, Behold your little ones. And as they looked to be held, they cast their eyes toward heaven, and they saw the heavens open, and they saw angels descending out of heaven, as it were, in the midst of fire, and they came down and encircled those little ones about, and they were encircled with fire, and the angels did minister unto them. What beautiful imagery. I can't help but imagine bringing my little three-year-old Jane to the Savior. Today, I was pushing her on the swings as I was taking a break from preparing. I looked at her face as she swung back and forth with pure joy and innocence. And at some point, as I was alternating between poking her belly and tickling her or gobbling her feet with my hands, and as she was giggling, I said, you're silly. And she said, as she always says when I say that, we're both silly. (laughs) It was a moment of just pure joy with her innocence. She is perfect. And as I was thinking about how sweet and how pure she is, I can imagine handing her to the Savior to have him bless her. He would be so tender. I wish I could feel the feelings he would have for her as he held her. He loves her. He knows her. He knows her spirit that was with him before she came to me. He knows her potential for good. He prays for her. He is her advocate to the Father. He would have all the feelings I had while I was pushing her on that swing. But though it seems impossible, infinitely more. And he would feel those same feelings for your child and every child on the earth. 
And as we're thinking about those hard things that are happening on the earth to all the children that we just can't do anything about, remember that he has them in his hands and he has a plan for them and he loves them just as much as he loves you and as much as he loves your children. What would it be like to watch your child be blessed by the Savior? What would it be like to see them encircled with angels? Right before this, he went from sorrow for the wickedness of the world to the fullness of joy. And how did he do that? Through prayer to his father and to your father. Are we utilizing prayer for the powerful thing it is? After reading this, I think I'm underestimating its power to give me peace and joy. The wickedness doesn't disappear, but the light dispels the darkness. And as 2 Nephi 2.24 says, men are that they might have joy. The Lord will bless you for coming to him in prayer. And you include the crucial ingredient, believing that you will receive. I think that's going to be my focus for the next week. Improve the quality and sincerity of my prayer, believing that I will receive the peace and joy that I desire. He then introduces the sacrament. As they take the sacrament, it says that they were filled. In the Come Follow Me manual, it quotes President Eyring with an idea to help you be spiritually filled as you participate in the sacrament. As you examine your life during the ordinance of the sacrament, I hope your thoughts center not only on things that you have done wrong, but also on the things you have done right. Moments when you have felt that Heavenly Father and the Savior were pleased with you. You may even take a moment during the sacrament to ask God to help you see these things. When have I done this? The Spirit has reassured me that while I am still far from perfect, I'm better today than I was yesterday. And this gives me confidence that because of the Savior, I can be even better tomorrow. Close quote. So he talks about the sacrament and he commands the leadership that they shouldn't let anyone knowingly partake of the sacrament unworthily, but not to cast them out but to minister unto them. Even if they don't repent, then still don't kick them out of the buildings of the church. I know we all know people who have either deliberately left the church in the last several years or have drifted due to poor choices. Christ has an important message for us here. In chapter 18, verse 32, it says, For ye know not, but what they will return and repent, and come unto me with full purpose of heart, and I shall heal them and ye shall be the means of bringing salvation unto them. And he also says, I know my sheep and they are numbered. He knows the ones that are close to him, but he also knows the ones who are lost. In Luke 15:4, it says, What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? He has a plan for all of your friends and family who have left or are lost for one reason or another, a plan that is so much greater and perfect than you or I can imagine, a plan for all those who have died and left this earth lost. He says in verse 32 that ye know not, but what they will return and repent. It is not our job to decide when someone is lost forever for like he says, for we know not. We don't know the plan he has for them, 
And don't forget that the reason he has a plan for to find them is because he loves them and he wants them back more than we do. We are learning in these chapters that Christ prays for us. Such great and marvelous prayers that words are not adequate to describe. So imagine your prayers for those who are lost and how much more impassioned his prayers are for them. He has a plan to find them. They have agency, but his plan to bring them back to him is so much greater than any one of us can conceive or plan. So my only job and your only job is to love them and be a tool in his hand to play whatever part that we're meant to play in that great loving retrieval. In chapter 19, it's the next day. The news of the Savior's visit has been spread far and wide, and people have traveled all night to ensure that they get to be here for his appearance that he had promised the next day. But instead of just waiting, they prepared as he had asked them to do for his arrival. The number of people is so great that they had to divide into 12 bodies. And in chapter 19, verse 9, it says, And they did pray for that which they most desired, and they desired that the Holy Ghost should be given unto them. How precious do we treat the companionship of the Holy Ghost? Is it a priority in your day? It says that that is what they desired most above all things. In Elder Eyring's talk called My Peace I Leave Unto You, he talked about many of the things that the Holy Ghost can give us. And I'm just going to list them off here for you. Peace, teach you all things, bring things to your remembrance, comfort, comfort specifically when we see our weaknesses. He says, those who do not see their weaknesses do not progress. Your awareness of your weakness is a blessing as it helps you remain humble and keeps you turning to the Savior. The Spirit not only comforts you, but He is also the agent by which the atonement works a change in your very nature. Then weak things become strong. So next he will urge you forward. He, the spirit, will urge you forward in faith. He will bring back the memory of those times when you felt the light and the love of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost will lead us to do good. He will help you see others as the Lord sees them. He can inspire your words. He helps inspire unity. President Eyring closes his talk saying, I leave you my sure witness that the Father knows you, knows your needs and your names, loves you, and hears your prayers. His beloved Son is inviting you to come unto him, and they send the Holy Ghost to attend you in your efforts to serve others for them. Because the atonement of Jesus Christ, the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost will have a sanctifying, purifying effect on your spirit. You will then feel the peace the Savior promised to leave with his disciples. With that peace will come a bright hope and a feeling of light and love from the Father and his beloved Son, who leads his kingdom on earth through revelation to his living prophet. Please go back and read the chapters from this week again and again until Sunday. I felt the Savior's love for me as I read them. I felt in awe of his great mercy and love for each one of us. When you're feeling stressed or down about the state of the world, follow the Savior's example and go to your Father in heaven for comfort. I am inspired to be so much more sincere when I pray. 
That's what he did. He prayed to his father. And I believe that when we do, we can feel an outpouring of love and peace that can come from no other source. Believe that that can happen for you. Ask him to make up for any unbelief in you and it will come. He loves you. You are numbered. You are important. He knows your name and your heart, and he has a plan for you. Thanks for listening. I would love it if you guys felt the spirit today, if you would share it. It helps me so much. And please leave a review. That also helps more people find it. And I'll talk to you again next week. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I decided I'm going to start releasing on Tuesdays because when I release on Mondays, it kind of makes my weekends a little hectic because I'm trying to get the episode recorded. So I'm going to say Tuesdays. It's more realistic for me. And my whole goal with all this thing is for this to be sustainable. So thanks.